Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Well, we start a new series today entitled The Pursuit of Patience. This year's theme has been patience since the beginning of the year, obviously. And uh, we've looked at patience from multiple different perspectives. I want to talk about the pursuit of patience throughout the course of this month. And uh, we're going to be talking about rest today. I talked about rest in one of the sermons last month, but I want to talk about rest today. How many of you struggle to find rest? And I'm not just talking about physical rest That could be a part of it, but mental, emotional rest, spiritual rest. Jesus broke away from the crowds, even the 12 disciples who he spent the last three years of his life with, day in and day out. He broke away from all people from time to time on a regular basis to be with the Father. The reason that Jesus was able to be calm and to do the things that he did was because he spent time with the Father. He knew that there was no other place to be to garner the kind of strength and power and authority that he had except by being alone with the Father. Many of us lack rest today because we don't take the time to be alone with the Father. We don't take the necessary time to be alone. One of the things that I hear often as an excuse to me as a pastor is, Pastor, I just don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to read God's Word. I don't have enough time to pray. I mean, I barely have enough time to eat a meal before I have to go back to work or back to some kind of activity. The question is, if you don't have enough time then you're going to continue the same process that's going to lead you to a place of restlessness. And the question, as I said, is this. Can you not spare the time necessary to be with the Father? If that relationship is the most important relationship in your life, then what are you doing to make time for him? So let's unpack this a little bit today. Uh, how many of you are familiar with a guy by the name of, it's actually pronounced Henri, which is Henry in French, but Henry Nouwen. He was a Catholic priest for many, many years. He's since passed on, but he has written some classic books. He's one of my favorite authors, regardless of what you may think about him or anything. I don't think there's really anything bad about Henry Nouwen, but he's written some amazing works. The Wounded Healer was one of the ones I had to read in college as a textbook, and uh, it talks about how ministers or those who are uh, ministers of the gospel oftentimes are wounded themselves trying to bring healing to other people. He's written several other classics, and they're not long reads. If you ever want to read any of Henry's books, you can read them in a relatively short time, but though they're short books, they're very deep. Henry Nouwen, when he was in the priesthood and when he was uh, teaching uh, at Harvard 
for a time. He once broke away from his busy schedule to live for about six months in a monastery. We call that a very extended sabbatical time away. And so when he was away, he wrote of his reasons why he decided to take those six months away. I want you to hear what he writes in his journal. He says, I realized that I was caught in this web of strange paradoxes. While complaining about too many demands on my life, I felt uneasy when there were no demands made. While speaking about the burden of writing letters, this was the day before email, an empty mailbox made me sad, he said. While speaking nostalgically about an empty desk, I feared the day in which that would come true. In short, he says, while desiring to be alone, I was frightened of being left alone. The more I became aware of these paradoxes, he writes, the more I started to see how much I had fallen in love with my own compulsions and illusions and how much I needed to step back and wonder, is there a quiet stream underneath the fluctuating affirmations and rejections of my little world? See, the quiet stream of contentment, of course, is only found in the Lord. And learning to live in his rest is crucial to finding it. The pursuit of patience requires rest, and you cannot find rest apart from God. You go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. But at the very end of chapter 1, going into chapter 2, what did God do on the seventh day after creation? Do you think God needed to take a break? Do you think he was tired? Do you think he was weary after creating everything in the universe? No. See, that day of rest was actually a perpetual existence from that point forward. There were six days of creation on which he created various different things. Saved the best for last, humanity, on day six. In the beginning of the next day, it says he was done with creating. When it meant he was done is there was nothing more he was going to do. And so he rested on the seventh day. Rest doesn't mean relaxation only. Rest means pursuing this sense of peace in a world where God is in control. And if God is not in control of your world, your personal world, then I'm going to guess there's a sense of restlessness within you. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But most of us are in this quest, in this search, and it seems like an endless search for rest. When Jesus has given us his hand, it says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and find rest. See, what Jesus is welcoming us back into is what God created on the seventh day, or what God did on the seventh day. He's welcoming us back into that rest because when you get to Genesis 3, what happens? The first humans decide that God's ways are not as good as they thought they would be, so they did the one thing he told them not to do, 
And in doing what he told them not to do, they set in motion a chain reaction of events that extends even to now of brokenness, of hurt, of fallenness, of addiction, and any number of things that do not align with his good purposes. And so Jesus, at just the right time in human history and at just the right location, stepped out of eternity and into time to deal with the problem of sin and death, which was perpetuated at the fall. And it's in that restoration process through Jesus' life on this earth that we are welcomed back into that seventh day rest. Am I, have I lost any of you? Okay, I know, it's been a long weekend. Hang in there with me. So our passage of scripture is just that verse that I was talking about a moment ago. Matthew 11, 28 through 30, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. This is how it reads, and these are the words of Christ. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. How many of you are weary? I mean, just reading the news or watching the news or listening to the news, does that make you weary? No matter what side of the aisle you're on, do you get weary with all the junk that's happening? And you wonder, what in the heck is the future going to be like? Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. You carry heavy burdens? You worried about your children, your parents? You worried about you, your future? Everything looks bleak right now because things aren't working the way you had planned? You're struggling with this or that? Things are heavy. And, you, and though you aren't physically carrying a load, you feel just slumped over. You ever feel that way? Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. The question is, do you believe that? The question is, in Jesus' day, to that very audience he was speaking to, did they believe that? Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. What is yoke? It's a yellow stuff in an egg, right? Because most of us aren't farmers today. And most of us who might be farmers don't use oxen or horses or bulls, anything to pull wagons, plows. So what is a yoke? What is that wooden implement that rests on the shoulders and around the necks of animals to pull a burden, be it a wagon or a plow or whatever. And in many countries, they still utilize these types of things. So what is a yoke? A yoke is that thing that helps somebody or something pull a burden. And Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you. Living in an agrarian community, people would have understood exactly what he meant. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So do you see what he's saying? Come to me and find rest. Kick back, relax. Here's a bowl of popcorn, a nice soft drink, and, you know, just let me do all the work for you. Is that what he's saying? No, he said, give me your weary, your weariness, your worries, and your burdens, and then I'll give you my yoke and my burden. 
So you're replacing one for the other. But what does he say his yoke and burden is like? It's easy and it's light. Those who were really kind to their animals in Jesus' day would actually have somebody custom make a yoke for the shoulders of a particular animal. They would come and do measurements and they would carve it in such a way that it wouldn't rub bare spots on the shoulders of the backs of these beasts of burden. And if they were really nice farmers, they would actually put fabric or some kind of material to cushion that extra piece of wood so that it wasn't the bare wood resting on the shoulders of the animals. So what Jesus is basically telling them, this is what I'll do for you. You are going to have to pull a burden. You're going to have to pull and work. I didn't come that you would not work, but I came to make your work better, more productive, easier. And here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to take that junk you've been carrying around that's weighing you down, and I'm going to give you something that's worthwhile. To know that what you are pulling is going to make a difference and is going to be purposeful, not only in your life, but those around you. And in the process of you doing this, not only are you going to feel fulfilled, you'll actually be rested because you're not pulling with this impossible pull on a burden that you shouldn't be carrying. So what's the key point this morning? It's this, the pursuit of patience requires resting in God's presence. What is patience? You always heard you should never pray for patience because God will put, you to the, put it to the test in your life. So I've never prayed for patience. I remember hearing that as a kid in church. Don't ever pray for patience because God will allow you to be in situations where that patience will be tested. And actually, let's be honest. Patience is something that is in short supply these days. And I'll just say, in these days, because it's a personal experience I wrestle with, but in generations previous, because we live in a broken and fallen world, things don't always go our way. They don't go as planned. People don't always live up to our expectations. And we get impatient, don't we? Even the small things make us impatient. We don't like waiting too long for the microwave to ding. And if it's still cold, we've got to put it back in again, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? We, we get really upset if we're in the drive-thru and it's taking longer. Because it's supposed to be fast food, right? And then they mess up your order. And then you have to actually get out of the car and go in. We have been conditioned to be impatient because the world is impatient. But Jesus says, if you come to me, you'll find rest. Do impatience and rest go together? They do not. So if you want to learn the fine art of being patient and producing the fruit of patience in your life, you have to find rest in God. Because when things don't go your way, you're able to let a lot more stuff roll off your back. What are some things that true rest requires? The first thing is that true rest requires coming to Christ. Come to me, Jesus says, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Do you go to your boss to try to find rest? <laughs> In a way, we do, don't we? I need more time off. I need this week off. I'm going to take vacation at this time. 
I need sick leave. I need this. I need benefits. We go to our boss for a lot of things. And they can give us certain things required by the law and also maybe what the contract is that we've signed to work for that organization or that place. But that's not the kind of rest that's required of us, is it? That's not the kind of rest, rest that Jesus wants to give us. The kind of rest that Jesus came to give is this internal soul rest. See, in Jesus' day, there was, except in the uh, Jewish culture, there was really no such thing as a day off, especially if you were a servant or a, a laborer. And even in the Jewish culture during Jesus' day, many of the Jewish people did not take a day off. Now, the, the ones who truly were those Orthodox Jews would because it, demand, it was demanded of them in their religious cultural context to take Saturday off. That was the Jewish Sabbath. But they would find ways around that. They would find ways around it. And they began to realize that if I, I can do this, this, and this on the Sabbath, but I can't do this, this, and this. And they started making up all these weird rules. You've probably heard me say before, in the Jewish culture, especially during Jesus' day and age, you couldn't do certain things, like walk so many steps. So you had to keep track of your steps in a day. How many steps could you take that would still be considered Sabbath rest? And if you go over those amount of steps, then you're breaking the Sabbath. How many times, because I would have been this guy, how many times would you have been walking somewhere and you're like, oh, shoot, I'm about 50 steps from the house, and if I take one more step, then I'm breaking the steps. Some of you type A personalities that will never break the rules. What would you do? Right? Lay down. <laughs> Lay down. All right, well, I can't go any further, so I'm just going to sit down. You couldn't strike a fire and light a fire on the Sabbath. Today, even Orthodox Jews, and you've heard me say this before, will not flip on a light switch because you're making an electric current which illuminates a bulb, which in essence is fire. There are certain processes that they will not do. Now, don't get me wrong. I think a discipline of resting is important, but I think the point is missed when we're just doing the thing because we have to do it rather than actually leaning into it because... It's something that Jesus desires to give us, that God desires to give us. The Sabbath, Jesus says, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. When we get into the process of trying to do just meeting every rule, then we are trying to meet the Sabbath's demands rather than actually realizing that the Sabbath was given so that we can actually have rest and focus our energies on the one who gave it to us in the first place. So what is this word? about, um, excuse me, what is this coming to Christ? How do we do that? Do you notice what Jesus says? He says, come to me. He doesn't say go to God. Now I want you to stay with me because this is gonna sound contradictory, but it's not. John 14, verse six, one of my favorite verses. You hear me oftentimes quote it. Jesus says, I am the Way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, when Jesus is saying, come to me, all you are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest, what's he saying? He's saying, come to me, because that's the way to the Father. And when you come to me, 
and you have access to the Father, you can have rest for your souls. You can have rest for your souls. But one of the cool things is that Jesus, we know, is not only just the Messiah, he is God incarnate. Isaiah tells us he was Emmanuel, God with us. In John's verse of scripture, in the Gospel of John, first, you hear me quote this often, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, he was with God in the beginning. So what is John telling us that Jesus was? He was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's telling us that Jesus was the very word that spoke everything into existence. Because if you go down a few more verses, the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. So John is saying that God brought life into the world through the word, the spoken word, because he spoke things into existence. And then he tells us that that very God came into the world and if you go a few more verses down to verse 14, the word became flesh or he became human and made his home among us. So what does God in essence do? He first comes to us. He comes to us, not with a heavy-handed approach, but with an open-armed approach. Allowing himself to be nailed to a cross, and you think, well, why in the world would anybody do that? Because that was the way to break the curse of sin and death. There had to be a perfect sacrifice. There was a sacrificial system in the Jewish culture. You had to sacrifice animals. And it sounds barbaric today because we wouldn't do those types of things. But in Jesus' day, that was a way to remember that it required a blood sacrifice for the sin. Sin required, sin brought death, and death rectified the problem of sin. And so what did Jesus have to do? As the perfect sacrifice, to eradicate the sacrificial system, he became the once and for all sacrifice, the writer of Hebrews says. He became the high priest of all time. There was no other high priest greater than him. And once he broke sin and death through the cross and the empty tomb, we can enter his rest. We don't enter laziness. I meet a lot of lazy Christians. I put in my time. I've been working for Jesus for centuries. Or you feel like it, right? There is no retirement from the Lord's work. But the work he gives is easy. The burden he gives is light. This idea of retiring from ministry is not a concept that any Christian before our generation understood. It was a lifelong commitment. Whether you carried a title or not, whether you were a layperson or a clergy, it is a commitment to the last breath you breathe. Another test, or excuse me, another thing that rest requires is learning from Christ. This is that yoke aspect again. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you'll find rest for your souls. What does Jesus say he is? He's humble and gentle at heart. What does that mean? What is humility? I've heard it said, not thinking less of yourself, or excuse me, not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Does that make sense? <clears throat> and this can be so subtle. Because 
When I'm worried about what other people think about me, who am I thinking about? Me, predominantly, because I'm worried about what other people are going to think. This is a good thing for our graduates to understand. They're going to be people that are going to look down on you. They're going to be people that are casting uh, doubt about you. They're going to be people that don't have your best interest at heart, but their own, and they're going to want to use you for their purposes. You have a choice in the matter. You have a mind, a heart. God has created you uniquely beyond any other person in this world, and he has a purpose for your life. But his purpose for your life can only be fulfilled as you find rest in him and are completely surrendered to him because you will, you will be struggling for the rest of your days if you don't lean into him and look to his purposes for your life, if you don't lean into him and find his identity for your life. I could stand up here and preach this till I'm blue in the face, but until you come to the point where you are at the end of yourself, and you come to Christ in full surrender, there is no rest. But here's the thing, God gets a lot of blame. If God really loved me, why am I going through all of this stuff? You're gonna go through stuff. As BJ said, you're gonna have some extreme highs, but you're gonna have some really bottom out lows. And it's not God's fault either way. We tend to forget him in the highs and we tend to blame him in the lows. We don't worship him at any time because we're in this flux all the time. You worship him in the highs and you worship him in the lows. When stuff is hitting the fan, he is as much your God and he loves you as when things are going really good and you've forgotten him. Learning from Christ is this dedicated position of submission to the one who created you. You cannot learn from someone you are not willing to submit to. But many of us are too prideful to submit to anyone in this world. And the things we do submit to oftentimes lead to destruction. But they feel good at the time. They feel good in the moment. They seem right when I'm doing them. Until you realize it comes up empty in the end. And then we point back and say, God, if, if you really loved me, you wouldn't have allowed this. You would have stopped me. But see, what kind of a person is truly loving if they stop every decision you make? Can I ask you that? If you were constantly being told, and not, to, not just told, if you were constantly being stopped from every decision, would you have freedom? That's kind of the world we're moving toward. You can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do that. And it's not only you can't do it, we are going to enforce that you can't do all of these other things that seem to be innocuous, quite frankly, You see, Jesus is totally different. He has teachings and he has commands. And you say, yeah, so he has a whole list of right and wrong and do's and don'ts. He's just as heavy-handed too. Actually, he says, I want you to choose me, but you can reject me. It's not my desire for you. But Brandon, there's consequences. If I don't 
obey him, then I go to hell. We don't like to talk about that, right, in the church anymore. It's not PC. But there is a heaven and there is a hell, and the consequences for rejecting God and Jesus is hell. You can, can, you can get upset with me about that, but a clear reading of the word of God indicates that. Even Jesus' own words. You just want to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This, this man who was humble and gentle at heart didn't mince words when it came to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world and the consequences or the benefits of the others. The benefits of submitting and surrendering your life to Christ, learning from Jesus and following his ways is eternal life through Christ Jesus in this place we call heaven where the kingdom of God is. This place of condemnation and hell is a complete rejection of God. But that bores the snot out of us and puts us to sleep a lot. Or we just like, ooh, he said the word hell. That's a cuss word. We shouldn't say that, right? No, hell is, a, hell is a reality. And learning from Christ and submitting our lives to him leads us away from that place. When we are in Christ, there is no condemnation. If the Son has set you free, Jesus that is, you are free indeed. We learn from Christ who led the way. He laid out a road map. And he said the way to him is pretty tough because it's countercultural. It's counter to what the world has for us. Again, I've said this multiple times in the past several weeks. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, the way to him, the way to the kingdom of God is narrow, and the gate is narrow. And he says that way that's narrow is pretty rough. I, I picture it much like this, this narrow path going up a mountain which requires some stamina and some, some stick-to-itiveness. I imagine rocks jutting out along the way that you have to climb over. I imagine it's, it's just this small, narrow footpath that winds up this really precarious mountainside. But then Jesus says the way to destruction is wide and the gate is wide and many take that way. And I, I picture it, uh, we used to drive through Atlanta all the time going to Florida when we lived in Kentucky, or excuse me, visiting Kentucky and lived in Florida. And so we drive through Atlanta. They have like eight lanes. And it's chaotic at times, even during rush hour, but we never got bogged down in Atlanta because there were so many lanes on I-75 going north and south. So I never had to worry about, you know, factoring in, uh, you know, rush hour or anything like that, because you could keep going. So you just had to be careful, but you weave in and out of these eight lanes of traffic. I picture this wide, narrow way with all of these cars that are constantly traveling I-75 through Atlanta like that. Many take it. It's wide. It's a lot faster than going the side roads around Atlanta. Luke chapter 4, Jesus tells us something amazing. Before we get to that, I want you to understand that Jesus' original audience, hearing these words, would have, 
would have seen them as so revolutionary. They were not accustomed to religious leaders of their day lifting a finger to alleviate the burdens and cares of this life. In fact, Jesus condemns the religious leaders of his day in Matthew 23 when he says, listen to what they teach you, but don't follow their ways. They're a brood of vipers. They won't lift a finger to help you out, but they'll tell you everything you're doing wrong. But Jesus says, let me show you the way. You come to me. I'll help you. I'll walk with you in this journey. This is something the religious leaders of Jesus' day wouldn't do, many of them. They would just point a finger of condemnation and not extend a hand of help. Jesus would say, listen, what you're doing is wrong, but let me give you my hand. He would say, go sin no more to those who were caught in the acts of sin, but then he would reach down and lift them from their place of desperation. The woman with the, with the issue of bleeding for nearly a decade or more, she just wanted to touch the hem of Jesus' garment she knew she could be healed. And she thought if she could just do that and then go back to her life, she would be fine. You know what Jesus does when he feels somebody touch him and he's amidst a crowd of people <laughs> and they're bumping into him along this narrow road in a small town in Judea. He says, somebody touch me. The disciples are like... Yeah, we're at Disney World getting ready to get on the most famous ride ever and people are bumping into you all over the place, right? Do you get the imagery? Everybody's touching you. What? <laughs> yeah, somebody's touching. No, 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 somebody touched me. It was a different touch. It wasn't a touch of rubbing shoulders. It was a touch of desperation and need of rest. Do you know the difference in a touch? And you know what Jesus does in that moment? He doesn't let her scamper through the crowd the way she had scampered in to touch him because she was an unclean lady. People in the community knew it. She wasn't even supposed to be there. And he didn't try to find her to point a finger of condemnation. Instead, he tried to find her because he wanted to lift her up. Oh, and did he ever. He wanted her to not only come to him to touch the hem and go back, he wanted her to come to him, touch the hem of his garment, be healed, and to continue to follow. Because it's in that place of learning that you find hope and you find rest. Again, Luke 4, verse 18 through 19. What does Jesus say his purpose for coming is? This is Jesus' mission statement in the Gospels. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that the captives be released, and that the blind will see, and the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. See, this was Jesus' message. These words prophesied in Isaiah, he adopted as the Messiah to be the reason he came. Biblical scholar Ralph Earl explains that to take Christ's yoke is to acknowledge the full lordship of him over your life. It's also, to you, it's also used in the sense of discipleship, of accepting the teachings of a person. Take my yoke upon you means learn from me not anybody else anymore. 
you have taken all that you've learned, you filtered it through my context, and now I want you to let me be your teacher from this point forward. You know, a lot of the reason I hear people confused, I don't know the voice of God, I don't know what to do next. You, do you know why? It's not that God has made it complicated. As a matter of fact, God has pulled back the veil. He tore the veil in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from us. Jesus and God are constantly breaking down barriers. The enemy continues to set up barriers. And so when people come to me and say, I don't, I'm confused, I'm frustrated, I don't understand, I ask oftentimes the questions, are you in God's word on a regular basis? Well, I just don't have time. How often do you pray and how long do you pray when you're praying? I just, I, I, mean, I don't know. What's, what's the picture of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result? Church, this, I, I, I realize there may be non-Christians or unchurched people in the context here or listening on their TVs or wherever. Do you really want to be set free? Do you really want to find rest? Do you really want the confusion to fade away and to have clarity of thought and understanding? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what? All these things will be added. But we don't do that first. We seek a solution to our problems through the world's processes rather than seeking God through the throne room of grace. We seek the teachings of the world, popular psychology and the like. We like a good pithy sayings to make us feel good about ourselves rather than the hard truth of the word that can truly set captives free from bondage. The last thing is true rest requires working with Christ. Working with Christ. Douglas Hare, scholar and author, writes, Jesus' yoke is called easy. The underlying Greek word actually means kind. Did you know that? My yoke is kind is how that could be translated. A good yoke it's one that is carefully shaped, as I told you earlier, so that there would be a minimum of chafing on an animal. Jesus' yoke will be kind on your shoulders, enabling you to carry a load more easily. In this sense, alone, his burden will be light. Here's one of the things that pastors often do that we fail at. We carry burdens of other people a lot. And you may do the same thing too. You may have people in your life that are struggling with different things and you're trying to shoulder the burden with them. The reality is you weren't created to shoulder burdens. You were created to carry burdens to the foot of the cross and lay them there and intercede what, what we call through intercessory prayer for that person. Because you are not their savior, nor are you their Messiah. But you can walk alongside of them, pulling them to this place called Calvary, where Jesus dealt once and for all with the burdens that they're carrying. This is a problem with codependency. There's a lot of codependent people out there these days that, that, try, that have this savior or Messiah complex you are not everybody's savior. 
And there are some of you that are like, oh, well, whatever, I can't do anything. That's not the right idea to have either. If you're a part of the body of Christ, we are a part of this holistic, unified body with Christ at the head. And the thing we are called to do as believers in Christ is to lead people to the place of healing. And yes, some of us have been called with the gift of healing to bring healing to a person. But it's at that place of healing where Christ intercedes and does what he does best, something we cannot do. When we work with Christ, we work to bring people into the presence of the one who can give them rest and set them free. The one who set us free from sin and death and whom we have found rest in that we don't worry anymore. We don't have anxieties anymore. But Brandon, I struggle with that. Yeah, I do at times too. And when I get my mind in control and I get the enemy at bay, then I'm able to say, Lord, I'm scared, I'm frustrated. I'm stuck. I don't know where else to go, what else to do, where else to turn. It's when Jesus says, good, you're exactly where I need you because I didn't ask you to carry all that. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy burdened. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm meek and humble at heart. And you can find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You've been carrying stuff I never asked you to carry. Everybody else may be asking you to carry that. Everybody else may be weighing you down. Or your own insecurities may be so burdensome on you that the enemy has held you captive for too long. You need to let me break those chains off. Can I do that? What it takes is full surrender. In order to work with Christ, we have to be alleviated from the burdens in our hearts, our souls, those things that have held us captive. You may have been abused as a child, as an adult or a teenager. You may have gone through some atrocious things in life, and those have become burdens not of your own making, but you continue to carry them. You can be set free. You can find rest. You can be delivered from that weight that is crushing your soul. And you can work with Christ. And you can find fulfillment in life that totally gives you purpose beyond what you can ever imagine. Jesus' yoke is willingly offered to us and willingly taken up by those who desire rest and who are tired of living life in such a way that leaves them restless and weary. Our worship team's gonna come forward and close us out, and I wanna leave you with this and a couple challenges. Pastor Larry Shell recalls a story about a pastor in the Philippines several years ago who used uh, the following parable to illustrate Jesus' offer of rest. Listen to what he says. He said there was a driver of a water buffalo wagon. They call it a carabao wagon. He was on his way to market from a village outside of the city. So he's heading into the city. And when he overlooked an old man carrying a heavy load on the side of the road, and he had compassion in his heart, and he said, I, I, I should stop. I got room. I'm, I, 
I can bring him with me, but he's got this huge pack on his back. He is gonna, it's just gonna crush him before he gets to where he's going. So he stops to help this old guy out. With this heavy burden, this pack on his back, the old man sits down in the wagon behind the vehicle he's pulling, and he's driving for a while, several miles down the road. He finally looks back to check on the old man, and though the old man's sitting in the bed of this wagon that's empty, ready for market, he notices something strange. The guy's still carrying the pack on his back. He still is weighed down as he was when he was walking on the road. We cannot find rest in Christ until we let him have the burdens we're carrying. You may be sitting in these pews today or listening online, and you're a believer in Christ, but you've continued as you're sitting on that wagon heading toward the kingdom of heaven with a pack that is soul-crushing to you. Do you believe in the power and the authority of Christ who came to set captives free? Because if you do, you'll give him the pack off your back. But that's uncomfortable for many of us, depending on how long we've carried that backpack of burdens. We, we don't know what we would do if we have that removed. It is so conformed to the structure of our backs. I mean, it would feel weird not having it there anymore. And we're afraid of what life will be like if that's gone. We, we believe that it could be great, but fear and doubt keep us with it on our back. I have to believe you keep coming back here, not just because this is your home church or you're searching to learn more about the Word of God, but I, I have to believe you keep coming back or you keep listening online because you desire this. I have to believe that you know there is hope beyond your current circumstance and situation. I have to believe that you know there's something beyond your current crisis or situation. I have to believe you know there is rest to be had you just need to make that choice and decision. But you don't know how. You don't know how. It requires one step at a time. It requires a step toward the altar to lay the burdens here. That's what the altars were for. Not just in the Protestant era or the Catholic era, but all the way back in the Jewish times, the altar was to take the sin offering and place it upon the altar so that it can never be held against you again. And when that offering was burnt up and the smoke went up into the heavens, the sweet aroma of that sacrifice sufficed the judgment of God on a person's life. And when Jesus hung on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. sweet aroma went up, to, went up to God but this time God's wrath was poured out on Christ and because this wrath was poured out on Christ that offering made the difference for an eternity for those who would believe in him Jesus rectified the problem 
so that we could live in the seven-day rest as if we were in the Garden of Eden. I don't know where you are, what's going on in your life, but my hope and my prayer this morning is that if, you, if you're really struggling with rest or finding rest, your soul is restless and you don't know how you're going to do it anymore. You're, you're at the end of yourself. You feel burnt out. Don't keep going back to the same old watering hole expecting a different result. Maybe it's time to come to the altar and say, I'm done. I can't, I'm at the end of myself. I'm at the end of my rope. Jesus, I'm yours. I'm casting all those burdens here, and I'll take your yoke and your burden. You can find rest. Father, I know, <laughs> I know those words are true. Because when I've tested them throughout the course of my life during difficulties and circumstances, worries and anxieties, situations, Father, that I thought the future was murky on, <laughs> when I truly cast my care on you, I found peace. I found rest. I found a reason to take another step. I realized that my life was not created, nor was it created in vain. It wasn't created for my purposes, but for yours, and that when I completely learn from you and seek you, I can find rest. But I, God, I go back through these cycles, even as a pastor, where I pick up burdens along the way and until I, I, I get down the roadways and I realize I'm just exhausted. And I can't do it anymore. And your gentle Holy Spirit reminds me that there's a pack on my back the size of an elephant that's crushing me. And that gentle reminder leads me to the cross to lay those burdens down <laughs> and to find rest. I pray that you would break the chains of bondage in this place today. Those that are listening at home, that, Father, you would truly bring a person to rest. Somebody who's at the end of the rope, somebody who's struggling with addiction, somebody who's struggling with their own demons of insecurity. Issues of identity, not truly knowing who they are. Help them to find rest by leaning into you completely. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.